scripture reading this evening will be taken from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort, and with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Good evening and welcome again. We are grateful for your presence. We're always grateful for a beautiful day, and today has been no exception. This is the week that spring officially begins and so it doesn't really feel like we've had a winter but I'm not I'm not complaining I like warm weather and so it seems like really in Memphis or in this area we have two seasons winter and summer but uh, again I'm not complaining and it is a beautiful day and we're we're glad that you're here tonight and we have a number of our own own people that have been away over the over the course of the past week, they have, I guess, been out for spring break, and we trust that some who are still away will be back safely, and hopefully we will be back to normal next Sunday. At least that's our prayer. Tonight we're going to be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 4, the passage that Danton read for us just a moment ago. We've been talking about the importance of worship and the acts of worship, and tonight we want to talk about preaching as it relates to worship. And in Acts chapter 20 at verse 7, we read of the early church meeting in the city of Troas to observe the Lord's Supper. And one of the things that took place on that occasion was the preaching of the gospel. And of course, the apostle Paul was there and he was doing the preaching. When you read 2 Timothy, you need to understand that Paul is writing his farewell letter. And this is the last letter that he will pen before he lays aside the pen of inspiration and ultimately sets sail for eternity. But I think it's interesting that as Paul closes his words of encouragement to Timothy, he tells him to preach the word in verse two. In verse five, he exhorts, do the work of an evangelist. And really, in order for the church to grow, to blossom, to continue to flourish as God would have it, it takes people preaching and teaching the word, sowing the seed of the kingdom. So really, it's very fitting for the apostle Paul to tell Timothy, who was, who was his child, his son in the faith, to keep preaching the word. And I guess we would say to every generation, continue preaching and teaching the word. I've said here on several occasions that I believe we have young men right here in this congregation that will one day be gospel preachers. And I was talking to Danton a little bit earlier, and I mentioned not just to Danton, but also to Isaiah tonight about the foundations class. I'm sure Jared's already talked to them about it, but it will be coming up this summer at the School of Preaching. And I think it'd be great if all of our young men could be a part of the foundations. It's a week-long 
uh, class, and a lot of great things come forth from it. And it may be the case that some of our young men aren't planning on preaching for a living, but you can, you can work through the week and preach on the weekends. Some of us have done that, and it's very rewarding. So tonight we think about preaching in worship. And there are some things that I want to call your attention to as we look at 2 Timothy chapter 4 as they relate to preaching. First and foremost, I want you to consider with me the charge to preach. And when you look at 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 and 2, there is a summons given by the Apostle Paul, and Paul is writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to preach. As we think about this summons to preach, really what we are emphasizing is the fact that God has authorized preaching. Look, if you would, at what Paul said, beginning in verse 1. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing, at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Now, to those who may be skeptical about Paul's authority in writing these words, I would remind you that Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 37, if any man thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. And so God is the one who has authorized preaching. And if you go back and you look at the Old Testament, the Bible talks about how Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Now, we read of the account of Noah and his efforts back in the book of Genesis, but Peter speaks of him as a preacher of righteousness in 2 Peter chapter 2. And so preaching has been fundamental to Almighty God. The Old Testament characterized by individuals who were prophets of God, who were preachers of Almighty God. And then the New Testament. It's noteworthy that Jesus Christ came into the world. God only had one son. His son was a preacher. And so preaching has been authorized by Almighty God. But then I want you to think with me about the solemnity of preaching. Why is preaching such an important task? Why is it a sobering work? Well, listen again to what Paul said in verse 1. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. One of the things that we are to bear in mind as we preach and teach the gospel is the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ will one day appear. And when he does, all nations are going to be gathered before him. He is going to literally usher in the judgment. Every man and woman is going to stand before Almighty God on the day of judgment. And so we, we talk about the sobriety of the judgment, the fact that we will all be made manifest before the judgment seat of Christ. I think that Paul here is saying, look, in light of the judgment to come, Timothy, you preach the word. You let people know about the gospel of Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 at verse 10, Paul talks about how we must all be made manifest before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. In verse 11, he said, Therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. In other words, in light of the judgment to come, what do we do? We preach and teach the gospel. 
we plead with people to come to Christ because we understand that there is coming a day in which Jesus will sit upon the throne of his glory, all nations will be gathered before him, and we will ultimately give an account of our lives before the Son of God. Now, there's a second thing I want to call your attention to, and that is the content of preaching. What is to be preached? Well, according to Paul, the scriptures are to be preached. Listen again to what Paul said in verse 1, I charge you therefore before God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead before his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Now, when we talk about preaching the word, that encompasses everything that the word encompasses and excludes everything else. God has mandated that we preach his word, not man's word, not man's philosophies, not man's theories, but the word of the living God. Now you can go back and you can look at some of the great prophets of Almighty God. Micaiah, for example, said in the long ago, whatsoever the Lord says to me, that I will speak. And then I think about Jonah. Jonah was instructed by Almighty God to preach the preaching that I bid you. Haggai who was one of the great prophets, he encouraged the people of God to rebuild the temple. Haggai said in Haggai chapter 1 verse 13 that he was the Lord's messenger in the Lord's message. Those of us who preach and teach the gospel, we are preaching a divine message. It's not our message, it's God's message. And so we are mandated by Almighty God to preach his word. Now, let me share with you some things that I believe fall under the heading of biblical preaching. Sometimes people ask the question, why should, we, why should we preach the word? Let me just give you a summary of why we ought to preach the word. Number one, because it is a commandment of Almighty God. I said to Billy just a moment ago before we began services tonight, that when I, when I think about this charge, and this charge is given to Timothy and the Apostle Paul said, Timothy, I want you to preach the word. That is a commandment of Almighty God. And the old timers used to say, enough said. And the bottom line is, if that, is, if that were the only reason, that's reason enough. Because God in heaven said, I want you to preach my word. And so we need to consider that. A second reason why we need to preach the scriptures. The scriptures are fundamental to the Great Commission. When Jesus gave the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19, he said, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. In Mark 16, 15, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Men and women cannot be saved if they do not hear the gospel. If people are going to be saved, they have to hear the word of the living God. And that really leads to a third reason why we are to engage in biblical preaching. And that is, it is the only thing that will save there are a lot of philosophies, a lot of theories. There are a lot of things that float out here on planet Earth. 
But the only thing that's going to save men and women from sin is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I would be wasting your time if I preached anything but the gospel. God in heaven said we are to preach the word. And the reason we preach the word is because that message has the power to cut or to penetrate the hardest of hearts. Paul said in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. In Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, the writer said that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. The word of God can literally pierce the heart of mankind. But the word of God cannot do its work if it's not preached. The word of God cannot save souls if it's not preached. And so biblical preaching is the only message that will save. Let me give you a fourth reason why we are to preach the gospel, why we preach scripture. It is the only message that will make a person a Christian. Not only will the gospel make people Christians, but it will make people members of the church of Christ. Now, in Acts chapter 11, we read about those who were called Christians first at Antioch. And you and I, we wear the name of Christ. What did we do to become a child of God? Well, we had to hear the gospel, didn't we? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. Based on what we heard, we developed faith in the Lord. The Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 at verse 7. Based on that faith, we responded by repenting of our sins. That's what Jesus said, we are to repent lest we perish, Luke 13, 3. And then we confess with our mouth what we believe in our heart, that Jesus is the Son of God, just like the eunuch did in Acts 8, verse 37. The Bible then says we are to be baptized into Christ so that we might enjoy the remission of sins or the forgiveness of sins, Acts 2, verse 38. Now, when we do that, what do we become? Christians. We become a child of the living God. Now, let me ask this question. What church do we belong to? Well, if you and I were to, to go back in time to the first century, and if we had the opportunity to interview those who were baptized into Christ, and you can read about that in Acts 2, verse 36, down through verse 41, if you and I had the opportunity to talk to those people about their obedience to the gospel, and we asked them in a very candid way, what, what church do you belong to? What church do you think they would say? Let me tell you what church they would say, the church of Christ. There was only one church. The only church in existence in the first century was the church of Christ. How do we get into the church of Christ? We are baptized into Jesus Christ, which puts us in the church of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, Paul said, by one spirit were you all baptized into one body. Now, how many bodies are there? Paul said there's one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in you all. What's the church? Well, the church is the body. What's the body? The body's the church, Colossians 1.18. When we're baptized into Christ, we are then added to the church. 
There is a principle set forth in Genesis chapter 1, verse 11 and following that I think reveals the importance of the seed of the kingdom. And Jesus said that the seed of the kingdom is the word of God, Luke 8, verse 11. Every seed brings forth fruit after its own kind. If I preach this book, the only thing I'm going to produce is a New Testament Christian, a member of the Church of Christ. Now, I said a moment ago, if you were to have interviewed somebody in the first century and asked them, what church do you belong to, they would have said the Church of Christ. Why is that? Because there was only one church. Denominationalism and Catholicism came into play hundreds of years after the establishment of the New Testament church. I don't say that in a haughty or arrogant way. It's just the facts. That, that's simply what the Bible teaches. Why is it that I'm to preach the gospel? Why is it that I'm to tell people what the Bible says? Because the only thing that will save is truth. The only thing that's going to save men and women from, from sin is the truth of the gospel. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Now Solomon said, there's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof, the ends thereof are the ways of death. Are there sincere, honest, hardworking people, not members of the, of the church? Absolutely. But what did Jesus say? Jesus said, not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Our entrance into the kingdom of heaven is predicated on our willingness to submit to the will of Almighty God, to do his will. And so biblical preaching, biblical preaching will make New Testament Christians, and it will make one a member of the church of Christ, the church that we read about in Scripture. And let me just pause here and say this. When we talk about the church of Christ, we're not saying that we're better than other denominations. That, that's not what we're saying. What we're saying is we're trying to be a part of the church that we read about in the New Testament. We're trying to trace our roots back to the days of the apostles. We want to be a member of the church that Jesus died and purchased with his blood. Can you imagine anybody having a problem with that? To just be a New Testament Christian, to be a member of the Church of Christ? I mean, I can read about that in the Scriptures. I could pull out a phone book, and I could read, I, I could read literally tens and probably hundreds of different denominations. But let me ask this question. Can you find your church in this book? It's one thing to find your church in a phone book. It's another thing to find it in the truth of God. The only thing that's going to save is the truth of Almighty God. And so we preach the gospel. A, a fifth thing that I believe biblical preaching does, it nourishes the soul. It's the only thing that's going to nourish the soul. Jesus said, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I remember a professor of mine in a book that he penned many years ago talking about the spirit of preaching in this era. And he said, the hungry sheep look up and are not fed. There are a lot of congregations, there are a lot of people today, they hear a lot of different things they hear, they hear a lot of poetry. 
They hear a lot of philosophies. They, they hear any number of philosophies. They hear about psychology. They hear about poetry. They hear about history. But they don't hear the word of God. God's word is the only thing that will nourish the soul. When Peter wrote to new converts, he said, as newborn babies, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. You want to see an infant grow? Then feed that infant milk. You want to see an infant in the body of Christ grow? Then feed them the word of God. Peter said, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. People can't grow if they don't know what this book says. The souls of people in many places are malnourished. And I really believe that those of us who preach the gospel, if we're not intent on preaching the truth of the, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, if we're not going to uphold the cross and preach the Bible in season, out of season, then we ought to take our shingle down. We ought to get out of preaching. It's that important. And then finally, Biblical preaching is the first line of defense when it comes to error. How can we safeguard ourselves against error if we do not hear what the Bible has to say? When the apostle Paul and Silas went to the city of Berea and preached the gospel to those people, they were commended. And Luke tells us that they were commended because they searched the scriptures daily to see whether those things were so. Have you ever thought about the fact that the Apostle Paul was an inspired apostle? Here is Paul, he's been in Thessalonica, now he's in Berea, he's preaching and teaching the gospel, and what are these people doing? They are checking him out. What we need to do is make sure that what we hear coincides with what this book teaches. Now Paul said, preach the word. When we preach the word, I remember William Woodson in a class I had many years ago, Brother William Woodson said, the truth of God has a ring to it. There is a certain distinctive ring to truth. Well, how can I know whether or not somebody's preaching truth or error? How can I know to safeguard my soul against error if I don't hear this book? There are a lot of gullible people in our world today. There are a lot of people today that have been duped, quite frankly. And one of the reasons is because they haven't heard the Bible preached. And so, we have to preach the Bible. Now we talk about there must be biblical preaching. But there's a second thing. There must be balanced preaching. Now I mentioned the Apostle Paul. I've mentioned him on several occasions in this lesson. And in Acts chapter 20, we find the Apostle Paul and he is talking to the elders of the church from Ephesus. He's in Miletus. And he tells those people, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. That's balanced preaching. Now, listen to what Paul says in verse two. Preach the word. Be ready, be instant in season and out of season. In other words, you preach it when people like it, you preach it when people don't like it. You just keep preaching. You preach the word. Then he says, reprove, rebuke, exhort. 
with all long-suffering and teaching. Now that's two-thirds negative, but that's balanced preaching. The word reprove means to convict, to bring to light, to expose, to reprehend severely, to chide, to call to account, to show one his fault. The word rebuke, to chide, to censor severely. So in preaching the gospel, we have to be biblical, but we have to be balanced. If you have the handout for the lesson tonight, I listed 10, 10 very specific subjects that I believe we ought to preach on a regular basis. Now, I would freely grant that this is not a comprehensive list of balanced preaching, but it's enough to get us started. Let me just share with you some of the things that I believe are encompassed by balanced preaching. Number one, the scheme of redemption. If you and I want to sum this book up right here, it's about redemption. It's about salvation. The Hebrew writer asked the question in the long ago, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? God's salvation is great. And we talk about this redemptive plan. It was in place before the world began, according to 1 Peter chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, and other passages. God had this plan in place. John in the Revelation, in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, talks about the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. God in heaven devised a plan whereby he could save the crown of his creation. That's you and me. We are the crown of God's creation. And not just us, but every person made in his image and his likeness. And so we talk about the redemptive plan of Almighty God, letting people know that God called on a man by the name of Abraham and said, in you shall all nations of the earth be blessed. That promise was fulfilled in Jesus Christ, according to Galatians chapter 3. Paul said, if you're in Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise, going all the way back to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 12. So we preach the scheme of redemption. A second thing we preach, the inspiration of Scripture. Biblical preaching doesn't do much good if people don't understand that this book comes to us from Almighty God. Listen to what Paul said, beginning in verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. What Paul is saying here is that the scriptures are God-breathed. Peter said, holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit or born along by the Holy Spirit. God's commands did not come to us as a result of fallible mankind. Mankind did not originate the word of God. So Paul said all scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Did you know that this book can make you what you ought to be? If we don't preach the gospel, if we're not engaged in biblical and balanced preaching, then people can't be what they ought to be in the eyes of God. And I don't know of anyone who wants to be deficient in their relationship to the Lord. We want to be what God would have us to be. And so the more we spend time reading and studying this book, the more we will cultivate a yearning for biblical preaching. And not just biblical preaching, but balanced preaching. So we talk about the scheme of redemption, the inspiration of Scripture. A third, 
I believe, subject that we need to talk about, the authority of Christ. Again, we talk about the importance of inspiration. Inspiration tells us that Jesus Christ has all authority. It's not what I think. It's not what anybody else thinks here on planet Earth. It's what the Lord has said. Jesus said, all power, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. God the Father said, we are to hear him, Matthew 17, verse 5. Paul said, whatever we do in word or deed, we are to do in the name of Jesus Christ. That is, do it by his authority. Does Jesus have all authority? Absolutely. He is the mediator of the new covenant, Hebrews 9, verse 15. That new covenant is called the law of Christ, Galatians 6, 2. It's defined as the perfect law of liberty in James chapter 1, verse 25. It's called the law in James 2, verse 12. We appeal to the law of Almighty God. And so in our preaching and teaching, we let people know, look, we're appealing to a higher power. We're looking to Jesus Christ as one who has all authority. I understand Jesus is in heaven. He's seated at the Father's right hand. And we're on earth. How does he regulate us? By this book that we call the Bible. I have every bit, every bit of confidence in this book that it is the divine word of God and that it is to rule and regulate my life here upon planet earth. And then I would submit unto you that we are to preach the deity of Christ. We talk about Jesus is the son of God. There are a lot of people today, if you were to ask them on the, on the street, what, what do you think about Jesus? It'd be surprising the number of responses. There are a lot of people that will say, well, you know what, Jesus Christ, he was a great humanitarian. He was a man of compassion. Some would say that he was a social revolutionist. Some would say, some would say that he was a carpenter's son. But Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. John the Baptist declared Jesus to be the son of almighty God. Do we believe that Jesus is the son of God? When we talk about balanced preaching, we need to let people know, look, we're following Jesus, the son of the living God, the one through whom we have access to God the Father. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, John 14, verse 6. And so we're looking to Christ. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, that in Christ dwells or dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So the deity of Christ and then the church of Christ. Should we preach Christ? Absolutely. But what about the church of Christ? In Matthew chapter 16, 18, Jesus said to Peter, and I also say to you, that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. We need to let people know, look, this is what the Bible says about the church of Christ. It was built by Jesus, Matthew 16, 18. It was bought with the blood of Jesus, Acts 20, verse 28. Jesus today is the head of that church, Colossians 1, verse 18, Ephesians 1, 22, and 23. We need to be members of the church if we want to be saved, Ephesians 5, 23. We need to tell people about, about the church. I mean, we talk about preaching Christ. Look, if you're going to preach the man, you better preach the plan. And so that leads me to another thing. We have to tell people what to do to be saved. Go through the book of Acts and note if you would how when the early disciples spent time talking to people about Jesus, they told them 
exactly what to do to be saved. I wouldn't be much of a gospel preacher if I didn't tell people what to do to be saved. And again, I would say if I'm not going to tell people what to do to be saved, I might as well pull my, shingles, my shingle down. The Bible tells us what to do to be saved. The Bible tells us that salvation is in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 2 at verse 10. Luke said, neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. If people are going to be saved, they have to be saved in Jesus. Now we live in a pluralistic society. And I think about the society in which our children and grandchildren find themselves in today. It is literally a smelting pot of any number of theories and philosophies. And there are a lot of folks out in Hollywood, there are people on the East Coast that'll say, look, it doesn't matter in whom you believe. It doesn't matter what you believe. That, my friend, is bunk. It's just not true. It does matter what you believe. And if we want to go to heaven, we better believe in Jesus Christ. And we better get on board to do his will, to become his children. Peter said, speaking to Jesus, you have the words of life eternal. If I want to go to heaven, I've got to look to Jesus. When, when Philip had the opportunity to talk to the eunuch from Ethiopia about Isaiah chapter 53, the Bible tells us that beginning at that same scripture, he preached unto him Jesus. If you look at the context, you'll find that when they came to certain water, the eunuch said, see, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? There's not one word in that text about Philip preaching New Testament baptism. New Testament baptism is Christ-centered. It is cross-centered. It is Bible-centered. Again, if I'm going to preach the man, I better preach the plan. And so, Balanced preaching necessitates telling people what to do to be saved. It also necessitates letting people know about New Testament worship. There are a lot of folks in our world today, when it comes to worship, they are, for lack of a better way to say it, they are all messed up. The Bible says we are to worship God in spirit and in truth. Jesus said, the Father seeketh such to worship him. You ever seen some of the worship services that are that are aired on television, I challenge you sometime, close your eyes and just listen to them. If you didn't know better, you might think you were, you, you might think you were in a nightclub. Some of the hooping and hollering and who knows what going on. Some of the things that are going on in worship that are so foreign to the New Testament. How do we know how to worship God? This book. How will every generation understand the principles of worship if we don't talk about them? The Lord willing, next Sunday night, I plan to talk about instrumental music in worship. Jared has already talked about singing in worship. And I think it's important that we understand why we do not use mechanical instruments of music in worship. It's not because we don't have the money. It's not a, that's not an issue. Let me tell you why we don't use an instrument. It's because instruments are not authorized in the New Testament. Plain and simple. Doesn't meet the criterion. 
And then we have to preach about the blood of Christ. The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. I've got to move along. We don't have a clock on the wall anymore. And I miss it. But anyway, I look down, it's almost 7 o'clock. And I've got a lot of material to cover. But let me just move along. We need to talk about the resurrection of Christ. Christianity stands or falls based on the resurrection. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that if Christ has not been raised from the dead, our preaching is vain, our faith is vain, we're still in sin. Thank God for the resurrection. And then, tenthly, the home. The troubles of our nation are tied to the home. We need to be preaching and teaching about the home. That encompasses the permanency of marriage. It encompasses divorce and the ramification, ramifications of divorce. It also includes child rearing and a number of other subjects. But let me move very quickly now to the third point, the challenge to preaching. There is a challenge to preaching. When we talk about the challenge to preaching, it's summed up in the fact that there are some who would seek to subvert biblical and balanced preaching. And so I would call attention to the naysayers to preaching. There are some folks out there, they do not like biblical preaching. They do not want to hear biblical preaching. And that's what Paul talks about. Listen to what he says in verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn away their ears from the truth and be turned aside to fables. In other words, they're going to find somebody that will accommodate what they want to hear. Now we talk about the naysayers. That is those who don't want to hear biblical and balanced preaching. Let me just give you three Three things that people say sometimes. It won't work. You ever heard that? I mean, we're too sophisticated for Bible preaching now. We don't need to hear that. It just won't work in this day and time. And there are some, and sadly some within the church, that think instead of biblical preaching, what we need to do is dramatize the word. I remember several years ago, Nancy's grandmother visited a congregation in Texas and they had some type of dramatic performance going on. And she turned to Nancy's mom and dad, if I'm not mistaken, and said, I came out of a denomination and this kind of stuff is leading us back into denominationalism. Well, if you look at the Grecian and Roman world, had God wanted drama, guess what? He had, he had a perfect opportunity because they were well known for that. And then there are some who say it's outdated. It's old-fashioned. I mean, we need, to, we need something more sophisticated again. And then there are some who just, for lack of a better way to say it, they just don't like it. They don't want to hear the Bible preached. And those who do not want to hear the word of God proclaimed, they will be a thorn in the side of those who want to preach. And they've always been around. 
So what's the need? Listen to what Paul said in verse 5. Here's what Paul said to Timothy. But Timothy, you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. If you look at verse 5, it's interesting to me that when Paul talks about preaching, and in this context, he's talking about being a faithful proclaimer of the word of God. He said, Timothy, I want you to do the work of an evangelist. I want you to fulfill your ministry. But please take note, he said, endure afflictions. The bottom line is, if, you, if you're going to preach and teach the cross and preach and teach the gospel, and you are going to preach the word unbridled, you're going to take some shots. There are going to be some folks that do not like you. But you know what Paul said? You just keep preaching. You just keep teaching. Because the bottom line is, if you do that, you're in good company. And you have the promise of heaven. Well, I have gone over time tonight. But I appreciate your patience and your attentive listening. And I want to close by saying, if you're not a Christian, why not come to Christ? The Bible encourages us to come to Jesus. Jesus himself said, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden. The promise being, I'll give you rest. Do you believe Jesus to be the son of God? Would you be willing to repent, to confess, to be immersed in water? Why not become a member of the church? Why not live faithfully and have the promise of life eternal? If you're here tonight and you're not faithful, could we encourage you to come home? Come back to a loving God who will abundantly pardon, 1 John 1, 9. Come as we stand and sing.